Welcome, everyone, to the ProWrestling.net All Access Podcast. My name is Chris Shore, and joining me, as always, is Jake Barnett. It's Saturday, and that means that it is a SmackDown audio review. And it is the final audio of uh, Free Audio Week here at ProWrestling.net. Our, our audio shows are generally reserved for our members, but we wanted to open up all the shows this week and give you a chance uh, for, for, our, for those who, are, who work on our free side to check it out and see if it's something you're interested in. If you have not listened to any of the audio. I really encourage you to go back and check all of those out. We have the WWE Raw audio review up, the TNA Impact Wrestling audio review up, and we also have Jason Powell's Q&A that he does on Fridays. We have Jake and Will Pruitt's .NET Countdown that they do every Wednesday or Thursday for the site that look at the top and bottom uh, of what's going on in all of professional wrestling. And for the first time ever, Jason and I went uh, with free audio for our, our flagship show. We record it every Thursday. We call it .NET Weekly. Uh usually runs two-plus hours. We've had them go over three before as well, depending on uh, how busy the week has been. But that is a new show. We run down the news of the week. We often report news that's not been reported anywhere else, even on our site as of yet. Uh, so, And it's the first time we have ever done .NET Weekly uh, for our free subscribers. Uh, so definitely go over there and check that out. If you haven't checked out anything else, listen to that one, because that is the one that's never been done free before, and for all I know, it'll never be done free again. So check out all of those audios, and if you like what you hear, now's the time to sign up to get access to all of those. Uh, you just head on over to ProWrestling.net, click on the right-hand side on the .NET member sign-up page, get you started for $7.50 a month. If you just want to try it for one month, if you know it's what you want to do, absolutely encourage you to take the annual rate that's $5.50 a month. I uh, get you going for the entire year. You'll have access to all of these weekly audios, plus the interviews we do. Most recently, I did one with Bobby Lashley. Jason has done recent ones with uh, Shane Hurricane Helms. Uh, PJ Polacco, who wrestled under Just Incredible in the, back in the ECW days. Uh, lots of all the audio that we've done. There's Brock Lesnar on there, Chris Jericho on there. All of the old audio is there for you to check out. You get access to all of those things, plus access to the ad-free version of the site, the .NET members forum and the .NET members blog site, all there for you on the right-hand side of the page there, ProWrestling.net. Head on over and get signed up. Uh, but I'm, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and bring Jake in. Jake, this is the SmackDown that aired on December the 30th, 2011, the last WWE show of the year, the last chance to put a stamp on 2011. And I'll ask you right off the bat, did WWE leave us with a good taste in our mouth to end the year? You know, I, I I didn't think so. Just for the most part, it felt like this show uh, spent more time promoting next week's Raw and next week's SmackDown than it did actually doing anything of consequence on this show. I mean, we had the uh, the finish at the end to explain uh, Randy Orton's upcoming uh, absence, but other than that, we we really didn't see a whole lot this week. We just had a you know a couple of short matches that the announcers tried to plug as you know superstars building momentum into the new year. But for the most part, it was a pretty inconsequential show that spent most of its time uh, looking into the future and not much uh, on what was going on last night. So it was uh, it was kind of a pretty boring show to sit through, to be honest. Yeah, but it, it starts right off with the opening segment, we'll, and we'll tear the whole show apart from start to finish here in a minute, but I, I don't think tear apart, that's not fair, but we'll we'll break the whole the show down. But if you look at the very first thing that we get with Cody Rhodes and Booker T and Dustin, every bit of that was looking forward. and. And that's fine. I mean, we talk all the time about how, you know, we would like to see these guys have long-term plans and start, you know, advertising for next week, hyping what's going to happen the next week, use Raw to promote SmackDown, SmackDown to promote Raw. All of those things are great. 
but it was 15 solid minutes of next week. I mean, nothing built for tonight at all. They, you know, they would throw in the random, every time they would go to commercial, they would have, you know, pieces of video of, of what had been going on with uh, Orton and Barrett over the past few weeks. But that was it. Nothing else was really built for tonight. And, and you're right. Every, it seemed like every single thing they did tonight uh, was, was, you know, projecting out into the future. And I know we're getting into Royal Rumble season and the road to WrestleMania and all that. But, you know, we're watching today. There's business to do today. And this, you know, it felt like a holding pattern in some cases, but they crashed a couple of planes along the way, I think. Uh, it just was not a very good show. But you you did mention the, the Randy Orton incident. And, and for those who haven't heard, Randy Orton is suffering from some sort of back injury. It's not clear yet what it is. Um, the crazy rumors that he has failed a, a wellness violation, they are trying to tap that around it. Pretty much at this point, I think we can confirm that those are nothing but crazy rumors. Um, even though we were attributed with it at one point, it wasn't us. But he is out. He's going to be out for an unknown period of time. They don't know exactly what it is. The last we heard is that he's looking. Uh, he's thinking about getting a second opinion to see where he is. Does not appear that it needs surgery right now, but he's going to be down for some time. Jason asked me this question in .NET Weekly, and I'll ask you, Jake, since you cover SmackDown every week. People are saying, well, you've got to move somebody over from Raw to take Orton's place. And so I'll ask you, who, who who can replace Randy Orton? You know, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, being that both shows are still super shows from from what I understand. I mean, they, have, they haven't really declared the end of that. So, I mean, they've been moving Raw and SmackDown wrestlers back and forth between shows for, for months now. So I don't know if you need to maybe permanently move somebody over. I definitely think they need to do something more with Sheamus, uh, who, you know, as we've both documented over the past couple of weeks or maybe even – uh, month has uh, really been in a holding pattern of his own, waiting for an angle. So, uh, you know, Randy Orton's absence, uh, while it's, you know, kind of tragic in the sense that he's one of the better workers of the show and he's obviously a major star that will be sorely missed by, uh, you know, the, the show and probably the ratings will reflect that for, for a bit here. I, I think they have a chance to do something with Sheamus to uh, to kind of fill have him fill that role, you know, without moving somebody out of an angle on Raw that's, you know, in the middle of something, perhaps building towards something at WrestleMania. Yeah, I think the thing that hurts them more than anything, I mean, obviously, Orton's star power, it, it, being gone, is, is going to hurt WWE. Uh, you know, they're, they're giving out refunds for SmackDown house shows now. If you go and you know, make the announcement, Randy Orton is not here, we apologize for that. If you'd like to have a refund, you can leave now and we'll give you a refund. Um, you know, so that that's definitely going to hurt him in that sense. But I think from a creative standpoint, thing that hurts him the most about Orton being gone is that guy's been doing business recently. He's been putting guys over and really has has done a good job of elevating some people in WWE. When he had the feud with Henry, we were concerned about how that was going to turn out. He shot Henry off in the Superstar. Brandon Henry has done the the heavy lifting, but Orton gave him a big lift coming out of that. They've not booked the Barrett angle well. I don't blame Orton for that necessarily. I just don't think they've, they've told a good story. But he has been willing to, to, to do things to help get some of the younger guys over. And, you know, I just don't know. And, and, and he, he's at that Teflon stage of his career where he can take the loss and come back next week and the place will go absolutely insane and expect him to win. I don't know that anybody else has really liked that on SmackDown at this point. So they, they lose that peg, you know, the, the, the ability to go out there and put a younger guy over with a major star is gone now. 
I absolutely agree with you, though, that they've got to do more with Seamus. He is just being lost. It's been week after week. It's been come out, tell a corny Irish folktale, beat up some guy who hasn't had a win in months, and everybody, I mean, I mean he's way over it. It's, I mean, people are going crazy for him, but it's just as stale as it can be at this point because there's, I guess I'm fair to call it stale. There's not even anything there to get stale. He's just there, and that's kind of all he's been doing. Do you think Orton's injury changes the world title picture in any way? Granted, he's been out of it, but, I mean, I don't think anybody thinks right now that Daniel Bryan is in for a long run. We certainly hope that that's going to happen, but I don't think anybody thinks that at this point. So and we don't know if Orton was coming back to the title picture or not. There's no way of really knowing. But do you think that this injury shakes that, you know, the, that, that whole program and what's going on with Daniel Bryan and the world title up again? Well, I mean, you know, now we got Alvaro Del Rio down with a groin injury. You got Mark Henry nursing a groin injury. You got uh, Orton, who could be out. You know, I've heard estimates from anywhere from a month to six months based on, you know, the second opinion and the severity of his injury and surgery requirements and everything. So, you know, it definitely, uh, you know, brings home the point that, you know, a lot of uh, people on, on the web have been hammering home for years that WWE really hasn't built anybody in a long time. And they're in a position now where they have two choices. You know, they can scramble and rearrange their superstars uh, across their, their brands and, and try to maintain, you know, the same level of, uh, you know, a, a fan interest uh, just with the existing talent. Or they can actually try to push their, you know, their the guys that need the pushes into those top spots and hopefully they can, you know, garner some new interest. So I hope they do the latter. But, uh, you know, judging by how Vince McMahon reacts to things, uh in, in recent years, I would assume that we're just going to see some kind of superstar shuffle, and we'll see somebody major make their way over to SmackDown to, to stop the hemorrhaging. But I, I would yeah, assume that at this point, Brian is still in for a short run, just based on the way that they're booking his character. Yeah, I don't think it's changed the, the world title picture much. I think they have they know what they wanted to do there, and, and I don't I don't think Orton was involved just yet. Maybe after Mania or something, they would have brought him back over to us, though. I think they're probably okay there, and it is worth noting that uh, you know the house show results show that uh, they are bringing guys up. Seth Rollins, who wrestled in ROH, uh, Tyler Black uh, was you know well known there. He's been in, in developmental for kind of feels like you know ten years. He's been there. You know, I remember when he was signed, and now it's like, was he ever going to debut? He is now making the rounds all the SmackDown house shows, so it appears he might be coming up there. Of course, like you said, right now both shows are technically super shows. Even if they're not advertising SmackDown that way, they just move Raw guys over whenever they want. So, it, I, I think they're okay for right now. They, they, you know, they're definitely going to have to fill that void in some way. And I think Sheamus is the way to go. I think we both agree on that. But let's take this show from the start, and we opened up with a video that hyped main event was going to be Wade Barrett and Randy Orton in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Uh, you know, they really put effort into that. Went into the opening video and the pyro pops on the stage. Uh, Josh, Josh Matthews and Michael Cole welcome us to WWE SmackDown and we get Booker T introduced. He comes out to the ring wearing street clothes. He cuts the promo, uh, thanking the fans for 2011 and kind of running down the year. Somehow he started at the Rumble and, you know, the fans really welcomed him back there and then he moved into the, the booth and he was happy to stay there. But then Cody Rhodes came out and started popping off at the mouth. Um, and so he had to come out of uh, come out of the booth and take and handle his business, which he did on Raw this past Monday. If you didn't see it, he you know he did pin Cody Rhodes on Raw. Uh, he started to finish up and do his catchphrase, but Cody Rhodes' music hit and cut him off. 
Cody cut a promo on the way to the ring. He kind of ran down his ear as well, how he had suffered a career-ending injury with uh, the Rey Mysterio gimmick and uh, how that had progressed to where he is now. He said that uh, he, his, his end-of-the-year thing that he got to was that uh, he, had, he, he had taken a washed-up announcer uh, and got him to regain some of his former glory and that he had also brought prestige back to the Intercontinental Championship. He said all this while he was getting in the ring. Booker T cuts him off, uh, says that he you know, reminds Cody that he beat him on Monday. He said if he had any respect, he would be out there to congratulate Booker. Cody said that, you know, that he was right. He didn't want to come off as a bitter jerk because he was better than that. And he said, congratulations, Book, and he stuck his hand out. They shook hands, and Booker started to leave the ring. And then Cody said, but of course you know it's all over now. Booker asked him what he meant, and he said, well, you, you know, you really you've got two choices. You can... Stay active in the ring, and, and your age is going to catch up with you, and your skills are going to fall off dramatically. Or you could go back to the booth where you're only. I need to find the. I can find the direct quote here. He called him a semi-literate buffoon. Is that not what he said? A semi-literate buffoon announcer. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Yeah, he said that uh, Booker T was a joke, and he needed to figure, uh, realize that, and he should just go home. There was no good place for him to be in the ring or out of it. Uh, Gold Dust music hit. That kind of caught me off guard a little bit, but we didn't get Gold Dust the character. We got Dustin Rhodes, the guy behind the Gold Dust character. Of course, he is brother to, to Cody Rhodes, both of the sons of the legend Great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And, uh, Dustin came to the ring. He, you know, he kind of changed Cody a little bit, said that, um, uh, you know, when he was, when T. Dustin was battling his demons, you know, uh, he teamed with uh, Booker T, and it was the best time of his life. Booker T was a role model to him. He helped him get himself under control um, and, and to beat those demons, and that Cody should show him more respect and that Cody should know better. Cody then kind of trashed his brother a little bit, talked about, you know, yeah, you got your act together, and then you fell right back down again. Um, he said that Cody said that he had brought honor back to the Rhodes' name after Dustin had destroyed it, which I thought was a very good line. Um Booker piped up and, and got in Cody's face that, that Goldie was more a man than Cody could ever be. He said that they each had a win, and so they should do it one more time for the rubber match, and they should do it for the Intercontinental Championship. Cody agreed, but said it would be next week, not this week, and Booker agreed to the stipulation. Booker left the ring. Uh, he and Dustin and Cody argued a little bit more. Cody ends up kicking Dustin and hitting the beautiful disaster kick and leaving the ring when, Gold, when uh, Booker T returned. Uh, so no actual physical altercation between Cody and Booker T, just a, a little one between Cody and Goldust. Um, you know, I, I said earlier that, you know, this, you know, the, the, my biggest complaint with this segment is that it was 15 minutes long, I and mean, we went to commercial right at the, at the quarter break, and it was all about tomorrow. It was all about next week, not a bit about this show uh, or a bit about what's going on right now. But when you take that away, I thought it was a pretty good segment. I think Cody has, in this past year, really gotten more comfortable on the microphone. He, he just seems like he's out there saying what he would say. He doesn't feel like he's reading any sort of script or, or any type of planned line. He's, you know, he, he's delivering effective promos. He's gotten away from that silly, you know, the dark character that we really like on the front end, but then just never went anywhere. I think this is a great evolution of his character. I'm just really impressed with Cody Rhodes right now, and I thought he did a great job. Booker T is a known quantity on the mic. Sometimes he can get a little crazy, but he usually, you know, handles business just fine there. Uh, Dustin was okay, not known for great mic work, at least in my opinion, but I thought he was effective enough here to do what he needed to do. 
And I, you know, I think we're going to get a good match next week with Cody and Booker. And I think we can go ahead and start planning for, you know, Cody versus Dustin. Dustin's been on gold, on, uh, on Twitter as Gold Dust and trying to get people to get behind the idea of the brothers facing each other at WrestleMania. And Jake, I really think we're going to see that. Well, I mean, it's possible. I mean, uh, you know, Dustin looked like he was in great shape. I mean, obviously he was wearing a suit, so it's, you know, impossible to tell how toned up he was, uh, just based on looking at him through that. But, I mean, he looked uh, thinner than I think we've seen him recently. And he was, uh, you know, in pretty good shape the last time we saw him in the Goldust character, too, working on NXT. So he's definitely got another match in him. I mean, he hasn't wrestled full-time in quite a while. And, and I'm sure, you know, being the trainer, that he's keeping himself, uh, you know, in shape, working with people backstage. So, uh, you know, it, it could be a good match, and I think they have a good angle there. I mean, obviously, you know, Cody said uh, something like, uh you know, he rescued the the Rose name after Dustin vomited all over it or something, some line like that. And, you know, obviously they have a lot of personal stuff they can drag into that. They have Dusty on, uh, you know, on staff to to, uh, to get involved. So, you know, it could be a fun WrestleMania angle. Uh, you know, as far as the promo went, I thought Cody was excellent. You know, Booker really doesn't do much for me on the mic, but then again, he never really has. So, I mean, that's, that's nothing uh, that I can probably be critical of Booker T of. I've just never really been a fan of his character, but... Um, you know, they, they had a passable match on Monday uh, between Booker and Cody that uh, saw Booker getting the win, and I'm hoping that they're going to improve on that for next week because I, I thought you could see a lot of rust on Booker T already. But uh, we'll have to see where it goes. I'm hoping they uh, that Dustin and, and Cody can, can put on a decent match if that's what the direction they're going. Yeah, it wasn't a great match Monday. I wonder if some of that, too, if some of that rust came from them wanting to hold back because they knew they had the third match, and that's the one you want to have, you know, the – the, the big spots on. So, maybe, you know, I, who knows? I guess we'll find out um, next Friday. And, you know, I think we agree on, on where Cody is and, uh, and, and what's going to happen there. So, hopefully we get a better match out of them next Friday for the Intertitle Championship as opposed to this week uh, on Raw when it was when it was an okay match. But I, I, I think both guys have something more in them, and, and I, you know, like I said, I think a lot of that was holding back. So, it'll be interesting to see what we get next week. Uh, we went to commercial, and when we came back, we had our first match of the night. Jinder Mahal defeating Ted DiBiase in two minutes and 52 seconds. This was basically a squash match is, is, is kind of how I saw it. I was a little bit distracted during it um, with something else, but I, I kept my eye on the screen. It seemed like every time I looked up, they, you know, it was Jinder Mahal who was in control, and he ends up having uh, getting Ted DiBiase to tap out to the camel clutch. I, and, and Jinder's been just distracted. Roid over the past few months, ever since he got out of that feud with Kali, uh, well, starting there when, you know, Kali just, just owned him, and then since then he's not really done anything. It felt like they were trying to build up DiBiase off of him a little bit, but now he gets DiBiase to tap. I, I mean, I really, it was it was just kind of a blur match, and, and I just don't understand the decision. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like uh, they were trying to give Mahal a renewed push just because after the match, you know, Booker T on commentary and Cole both were, were talking about how, you know, Jinder Mahal, you know, was a force to be reckoned with in 2012 and whatnot. So uh, that looks like the direction they're going. The, the way the match went was, you know, Mahal was in control for most of it, and, uh, you know, Ted tried to make a comeback late, and he ended up on the top rope, and he had to, to jump over Mahal to avoid uh, getting uh, crotched on the ropes, and then he, he, he grabbed his leg to sell uh, sell an injury it's when Mahal hit him with the uh, the camel clutch for the tap. So, I mean, it was a pretty basic match, and, and it did come off pretty much like a squash, which was surprising considering DiBiase had gotten the better of Mahal in basically all their previous encounters. So uh, it, it looks like Mahal's getting the push. 
why now after they've spent the last you know five months uh, you know humbling him? I I don't know, but you know this is the WWE, and you can never tell what McMahon's thinking. So you know we'll yeah. have to see what happens. I mean, Mahal obviously you know we were both optimistic about him when he came in. He do, he does have a good look, and he does seem to be pretty competent in the ring. So I'm hoping that they can uh, you know they can get something out of him here. But you know it's hard for the fans to take him seriously just based on what we've seen for the past couple of months, and that's evident in the reaction that he gets when he comes out, which is basically silence at this point. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a strange, uh, just a strange booking decision all the way around, the way the match went, to, to, to who got to win and how he got to win. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm willing to wait and see what they do with it, but sitting there watching it happen when it was over, it was just I was really more confused than anything else. We cut backstage, and God, I wish I had just been confused during this because I wouldn't remember it, but I do, unfortunately. Teddy Long's on the phone talking with someone about New Year's Eve plans. We get the pornographic sax music and the light change, and Oksana walks up. I can't even listen to them anymore. I can't tell you what she said. I know it was inappropriate. It was some sort of, you know, sexual window, double entendre. She had a, um, a party hat, it looked like, or a noisemaker one that she was rubbing on Teddy's chest, and... They, you know, they were kind of cooing at each other, and then the music stops the light change, and Drew McIntyre walks in. I, I, honest to God, we, we say stuff like this all the time as a joke, but honestly, I had forgotten Drew McIntyre was on the roster. I, I swear to God, I had when he when he when I read the spoilers, I went, "Oh yeah, the Drew McIntyre is on the roster." I thought he'd been released. Uh, he uh, he, Oksana ends up leaving at that point. Thank you, God. Um, you get Drew talking with Teddy. Teddy says he signed Drew back after he went to Raw and his career just floundered there, which was the stone-cold truth. Uh, but Teddy said he didn't realize how much Drew was making, and he couldn't pay someone that much to be a loser. And so if uh, Drew didn't win his match against Ezekiel Jackson, uh, Teddy was going to have to consider letting Drew go again. Uh, Drew said that there wouldn't be a problem. He guaranteed that he was going to, to beat um Beat, beat Zeke and even mentioned that he goes, I'm still the same guy that can make someone get on their knees and beg for mercy like I did you, Teddy. Teddy played it off like he couldn't understand the accent or whatever. I mean, it was, it was an uncomfortable kind of promo because Teddy Long is, is, is played out. He just needs, I really, I, I don't think he needs to get fired or anything like that, but he's got to get off my team. Just this, this whole thing and with Oksana, it's, the thing with Oksana has become almost like the anonymous Raw GM. There's no real good payoff to it at this point. It's just gone on for so long. It's ridiculous. Uh, so it was nice to see Drew back, but I don't like the stipulation, and we'll talk about his match when we get to it. But, you know, I just I don't like how they set this up. And, and again, I'm just tired of Teddy and Oxon. How about you? Yeah, definitely uh, Teddy and Oxon has played out, and we've been saying that forever now. But uh, I thought Drew was okay here. I mean, he, he held his own in the mic, and I think he's a, you know, he's a relatively talented guy, so I hope they find something to do with him. Uh, but, I mean, you know, Teddy going from – you know, the the horn dog to acting serious, like, you know, uh, trying to be the serious uh, business manager for SmackDown, talking to Oksana was just a weird transition, and it really didn't work. But, uh, you know, Drew is, uh, you know, one of those guys that we've seen do really good things. You know, I think the last time I think anybody really took him seriously was when he was kicking the crap out of Matt Hardy on SmackDown several years ago. So it'll be interesting to see if they can resurrect his career, but... Uh, you know, I think we'll talk about his match more later. I wasn't all that impressed with what we saw later tonight. So, yep. After commercial, second match of the night: Alicia Fox and Caitlyn defeating Natalia and Tamina in a minute and thirty-three seconds. Uh, strangest tag match I've ever seen. Caitlyn start well. A, 
and, and I know I'm applying logic to the Divas division, and you can all feel free to laugh at me. It's fine. But, A, Caitlin turns on AJ, I think it was two, maybe three weeks ago. She turns heel on AJ. They never aired that on TV, though. I'm sorry? The, they they taped a, uh, Caitlin turning on AJ, but they never aired it on TV. That was a segment that was cut out of SmackDown, so. Oh, okay, okay. So that, that, that okay, that at least explains a little bit more. That I think that was the week that I was out uh, yeah. and didn't didn't get a chance to see it. So that makes sense then. I but I read it in the spoilers. Okay. Well, I mean they had teased it still even before that they had teased it. She had kind of left her laying there a few times selling it or whatever. Now she's hooked up with the new top baby face, I guess, and Alicia Fox. Uh, Caitlin starts does the majority of the work, gets the hot tag. Once Natty comes in, she gets the hot tag to the Fox who. If I'm not mistaken, literally she has one kick and then to, to bend Natty over and then botched a Booker T scissor kick for the pinfall. It was a terrible match. Alicia Fox looked awful, but at least he managed not to break anybody's face this time. Yeah, that's that's kind of been a continuing theme for her. She's really struggled with uh with executing those kicks and, and you know, whether it's that flipping leg drop she does or the scissor kick it, it doesn't seem like she's particularly accurate. I'm, I'm not sure what her problem is. But, yeah, the only thing that she did in that match was take the tag and then kick Natty in the gut and bounce off the rope and hit the scissor kick for the win. And then, you know, Booker T went off on the, uh, in the announce booth like, you know, she was the second coming. So uh, it was a really bizarre match. It only lasted about a minute and a half, if I remember right. And there really wasn't a whole lot to it other than, you know, Caitlin uh, selling some of the, the offense for the heels and then getting a tag, and then three seconds later it was basically over. So a uh, very bizarre match, and, and I don't know what they see in Alicia Fox's ring work because I think she's a liability out there. She's going to hurt somebody eventually. And then post-match, I wanted to break these up into two different things. Post-match, you have Tamina, I don't want to say turning, but for want of a better term, term turning on Natty, she ends up uh, hitting her with a super kick and then they splash off of the top rope, I guess, for taking the pin. Why are they – I mean, when, when when it was Natty and and Beth together and whoever was going to end up wrestling Beth had to go through Natty, I, I understood Natalia taking the loss on SmackDown for that person to then go on and challenge Beth on Raw. I, I didn't like it, but I at least understood it. This – I, I, a, I don't know who the next challenger for Beth is, and B, why are they making Natalia look so bad? Did, did she, did, you know, did she poop in somebody's gym bag? That's a really good question. I have no idea. She's been getting beat clean on SmackDown for weeks now by, you know, Alicia Fox, and before that it was AJ or Caitlyn, and uh, you know now Tamina's uh, beating up on her too. So it's hard to tell what direction they're going in with, with Natalia, but uh, I, I don't know what she did to irritate somebody backstage, but. Ever since she started appearing with Beth Phoenix, it's, uh, it's basically been her taking the losses for that team the entire time. You know, and even Beth has been taking clean losses, which I, I didn't think it was necessary. So for two two divas that are supposed to be the dominant heel divas on both brands, they, they sure seem to be getting their ass handed to them a lot. Yeah, I didn't think the divas division could get much worse, and I was um, factually wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going downhill, and... I mean, it, it's, I guess the good news is that it's got to hit bottom soon. I mean, it, it's to the point where I think that really nobody cares about the Divas division as far as any type of, of wrestling. They, they cheer Kelly Kelly because she's pretty, but, they, I mean, they don't want to see her wrestle. I, I really don't believe the crowds want to see her wrestle. We don't want to see her wrestle. It's, you know, and, and the, the people we do want to see wrestle, they just marginalize all the time. So it's, 
it, it's bad and getting worse every moment for uh, for the Divas division. And, 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 and just from a show standpoint, too, we come back from commercial, we have a minute and a half Divas match, bam, right back to commercial. I mean, it's, it's like the, the two-minute segment, it's unbelievable. But after that commercial, we had a video recapping uh, the Big Show versus David Otunga match from Raw and everything that played out there with Henry and, and Daniel Bryan. They cut backstage to Daniel Bryan, who was talking with, with AJ, uh, who was playing his girlfriend. And um, I, you know, I don't know for a fact, but I almost wonder if there's something between them. She was tweeting the other day, it's so cold here, wherever she was, I don't remember where it was, but she said, it's so cold here where I am that I would love to have a literal fire-breathing dragon, for those who don't know. Uh, Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan wrestled, of course, under his real name, Brian Danielson, uh, under, um, uh, as, uh, with his moniker, the American Dragon. So I, I don't know if she was alluding to anything there or not, but they are playing a couple on TV, or at least some sort of weird relationship, almost thing that's there. He was, uh, he was, he was bragging to AJ how he had saved Big Show at Raw, and how, you know, he, he would become the big guy's, uh, lucky charm, if you will. He was, uh, um, you know, he was, he was a guy that was saving show. Show walked up and said that uh, Giants didn't need to be saved. Right? So that's not the way he saw it. They talked about their tag match that was coming up. It was supposed to be them versus Mark Henry and David Otunga. But Teddy Long walked in and said that because of Henry's injury, he would not be competing. But Otunga wanted another shot at Big Show. So it would be Big Show versus David Otunga, but Mark Henry would be in um, David Otunga's corner. And... Um, Let's see, I lost my spot there for a second. He, he, uh, he wished show, uh, so Teddy Long left it at that. He walked off. Um, Brian said maybe Giants did need saving after all. He wished show luck and walked off. Show made a face, kind of, you know, balled his fist up for a minute and then calmed down and we went back to commercial. I, you know, I, I like the segment as a whole. I think Brian can come off as a goof a little bit too much. I, I think it's his, he's, I think he's just kind of a goofy guy and that comes out in, in his character. And, you know, while it worked here, it was just you know, just a little too much. If he could find a way to dial it back just a little bit, I think he'd have the right tone for, for what he's doing. And, and when we see these guys again kind of do the same thing later in the show, he's just a little bit too goofy there. Um, but, I mean, as a whole, I like it. I do like the dynamic between Brian and Big Show. I think they've got a great story they're going with here, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch play out. And, you know, really at this point, it, it, I could see it going either way with somebody turning, uh, you know, with one guy torn, turning or the other. I think you've got a logical way to do either one. So they've got a good story, I think, starting here. And I'm interested to see how it plays out. And I, and I thought it did well here. What about you? Yeah, I mean, the, the, there was nothing very wrong with this segment. I thought Big Show acted pretty well. You know, Brian's character is a bit of a doofus, but... You know, I, I think that's basically what he's being told to do. I mean, I, it's not, you know, the characters that he's played in the past. I mean, I know he has a reputation of being kind of a dorky guy. But if you look back at the characters that he played in, in Ring of Honor or even on NXT, uh, you know, when he was in his little mini suit with Cole, I mean, the guy can do intense promos if he wants to. And, and I think this is just what he's being directed to do. And, you know, what the next step from this will be, I, I don't know. But I hope it's him taking a more serious path. But... We'll have to see where it goes. I enjoyed, uh, you know, the banter between Big Show and Henry. I think, uh, you know, for what Brian is doing, he's doing a pretty good job of being the smart-ass little guy who's, you know, infuriating the big man by claiming that he needs his help and whatnot. So it's working to that degree, but I just wish we'd see something more serious out of Brian. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree this is what he's being told to do. I just, I, I think it's one of those things where they're, they're telling him to be a little bit goofy, and he's just, he's, like I said, he's kind of a goofy guy already, and so he's, 
I, I don't know. I just feel like it's a little bit too much. I really like what they're doing, but you just need to dial it back just a touch, and I think it'll be even better. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, I do want to see more seriousness from him. Uh, I, I just think it's working well for this story right now. At the commercial, we had Justin Gabriel making his entrance, and he got um, about the same reaction I think I would have gotten if I made my entrance at that point. Uh, I mean, the crowd just was sitting on their hands. And then we get, and this is going to create an interesting conversation. We'll just we'll deal with the match first, and then we'll talk about it in, in, in context completely. You have Unico comes out. He makes his ring entrance. He comes out riding on the back, standing up on the back of a what's called a low rider bicycle, and it was being driven by uh, his new friend. Is, is kind of how they introduced it. This guy's name is Camacho. Um, both of them, of course, dressed kind of in the gangster. Uh, style the Chulo style, and certainly uh, uh, Unico was more Chulo than uh, than Camacho was. But uh, you know, he's obviously they're kind of doing this, you know, Hispanic gang kind of motif with these guys or whatever. That led to our third match of the night: Unico with Camacho defeating Justin Gabriel in a minute and forty four seconds. Uh, the finish on this came um, with uh, Unico hit the top rope ten times for the win. It was pretty much a squash match for him. I mean. They went to the floor almost like 10 seconds into the match, and he hit a, a backflip dive on, onto the floor on, onto Gabriel from there. So it was pretty much for him the whole match. Post-match, he uh, he does a slingshot move that pops uh, Justin Gabriel up onto Camacho's shoulders in a fireman's carry, and then he grabbed the neck, and they did kind of a combo neck breaker. Uh, let, let's just start with, with the match and, and everything else. I mean, this was obviously the, it's an enhancement match for Unico. I, I'm fine with it. It is what it is, especially considering everything else that was on the show. Um, I, I mean, at this point, I'm just I'm waiting for them to put him into a real feud before I pass too much. I, just, I, I do think he's got a lot of skill. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a guy that would be interesting to watch in the ring. Uh, but, I mean, they're just not doing much with him yet. They're just kind of still introducing his character. Yeah, I mean, if you uh, were just to watch the match, if for whatever reason you would have taken a leak and missed the uh the bizarre introduction with the lowrider bike. That would have been a fun match. I mean, Unico looked great. And, you know, he hit the, the nice uh, acai moonsault on the outside, and then he had a nice uh, arm drag from the top rope, and then he, you know, the, then he had the nice, he does the nice uh, swanton, uh, you know, the somersault sent on off the top. It looks good, too. So, I mean, he, everything in that match was executed very well, but then, you know, you have this other part of the match where they have this insulting, uh, you know, Hispanic stereotype, uh, you know, Mexican barrio, chulo neighborhood kind of thing that you would expect out of a, you know, one of the Friday movies or something. And and I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's pretty insulting. I mean, maybe I'm taking it too seriously, but I, I just dislike, you know, how racially uh, stereotypical a lot of wrestling characters are, uh, you know, and, and how, uh, you know, it seems like how xenophobic and and homophobic a lot of these broadcasts are. And maybe that has to do with the uh, the sense of humor of the people running the show, but it definitely didn't do anything for me, and I, I, especially once uh, you told me that the Camacho character was Tongan and not even Mexican. It was just like, oh, man, what another head-scratcher that is. Yeah, and that's, that's the second part here of all this. Like I so said, the match was great. Uh, Unico looks like he's, uh, he's a guy who's going to be fun to watch in the ring for some time to come. The problem comes in when you, when, when you look at the act. It's... And I asked the question. I put in my report. I said, you know, if you have, uh, I would love to get the opinion of, of, of anybody with Latin heritage, Latino and Latinas. Please shoot me an email. Tell me what you think. Is it is it offensive? Is it not offensive? And surprisingly, it was about 50-50. I probably got, I don't know, 12, 15 emails, and it was about split down the middle. I, I think that the I don't like it 
crowd was a little bit bigger than the It's Fine With Me crowd, but only a couple of people really said that it offended them. Most of them were like, it's, you know, it's wrestling, it's what I expect, I don't like it, but what are you going to do? But And, and thank you to everyone who sent in emails. But I think the one that was most interesting, because I didn't know it at the time, I got this email first, was the one that said, no, I don't mind it because they're Mexican. I, I think it's far more insulting when you take someone who's not Mexican or whatever nationality or whatever heritage and try to portray them as something else. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's the, the oh God, I forgot his character's name, but the, uh, the, the Chinese guy in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, for example, the white guy, you know, and, and to make him try to look Asian in some way is far more offensive than having an Asian play a silly stereotype, is what someone said. And it's an accurate point. And then that's when you find, then the next email I get, literally right after that one was, hey, do you know who Camacho is? He's uh, Donnie, let me see if I can find his name here again. Donnie Marlowe, I think is what it is. And that's what he wrestled under most recently in uh, FCW in Florida Championship Wrestling, the WWE developmental uh, area. And he's he's Haiku. If you remember Haiku from um, uh, him and Barbarian that were tag teaming together, is that correct? In yeah, WWE? and then he was Mang in WCW. Yeah, he was Ming in WCW. And if you ever wanted to Google the guy, do he's someone? He's probably the toughest guy. Like he he's, he he has legendary toughness. Guys, you know, major stars. When asked, well, who's the toughest guy in the locker room? They'd be like, oh, it's me. That dude, you know, you could shoot him, and he'll just look at you. I mean, he he is a legit tough guy. And they're, they're from the island of Tonga in the South Pacific, and this is his son. And so you've got a Tonga, and you've got a South Pacific Islander who's playing a Mexican. This, and this is not a Tongan playing a Samoan or something like that. He's playing a completely different nationality, completely different heritage and culture. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I find that, I, I, I tend to agree with that first email I got, I find that much more insulting and offensive than I do the fact, you know, if, if Unico wants to go out there and his final play in the Chulo, you know, Chulo, I believe how it is pronounced Chulo, uh, or as I was informed in my email, the Mexican gangster, then, then that's fine. But to take a guy out of the islands and put him and make him Hispanic just seems and especially in light of, you know, reading the, the play, The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity, which talks about these things, how, you know, well, we'll just, you're Mexican, you're Puerto Rican, but we'll call you Mexican, and now we're not going to call you Mexican, we're going to call you Arab, and, you know, just this, it's like everybody of color in wrestling gets grouped into one pool, and that pool is, we can make you whatever the hell we want. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, the Wrestling Revolution Project, uh, uh, now I'm drawing a blank on the guy, uh, the former producer that's doing that. Uh, well, I guess it's not. Uh, really Cats. Um, yes. Jeff yes. Cats. Jeff Cats. Sorry. Uh, but he, you know, he spoke about in interviews, uh, you know, how he wanted to combat a lot of the racial and, uh, you know, sexuality stereotypes that seem to permeate wrestling with, uh, you know, with what he was doing. And so, you know, he has prominent, uh, you know, characters uh, that don't really, uh, you know, that stress their their race or, or sexuality as part of their character, even though, you know, they obviously uh, are trying to represent that heritage. Or, you know, I, I think they even have, you know, prominent gay characters who don't really put that as the focus of their character. So, you know, I, I think that's important because it reflects reality. And in a lot of cases, you know, WWE is obviously uh, dramatic fiction and so stereotypes do, you know, assist people in identifying characters. But in a lot of cases, uh, I think it's a double-edged sword. And, and this is one of those where, 
you know, it, it kind of weighs on the side of being ridiculous and insulting than it does to, you know, help me get into the character of Camacho or, or Hunico. I, and the one thing I will give WWE credit for is this, is that, you know, I, I keep referring to this as Mexican 2.0, and uh, to be fair, and, and, and I and also drag in how they're doing with uh, Rosa and uh, Primo and, and whatever, Epico, uh, you know, his cousin, they're now wrestling together, and I, I made a crack about, look, you got all the Mexicans together, and people went nuts and went, you know, the, the cousins are Puerto Rican, and, 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 you know, Rosa's Costa Rican, so, you know, you're an idiot. I'm like, well, no, that's my point, is... They're lumping everybody together, and yes, they showed the Puerto Rican flag whenever the whenever those guys make their their entrance, and so you can say, well, no, they're not calling them Texas, they're calling them Puerto Rican. But Rosa is not Puerto Rican, so it's you know it's, there's some problems there. But I will give WWE credit for, in this so much is that you have a guy like Del Rio, who is a heel, but is not a heel because of his heritage. He's a heel because he's an arrogant prick who thinks he's better than you. And, and I guess ultimately that's my problem with these stereotypes is that. If you want to do them, that's fine. I understand that, you know, when it comes to dramatic fiction, as you said, it's one of those things where characters have to be, you know, whatever whatever character you're trying to play to the nth degree to really get it over. And so I understand the need for it, but it seems like the only time you ever see, a, a, you know, a heel, uh, or if you have a heel who is, who is ethnic, they are healed because of their ethnicity. And so at least WWE has a guy like Del Rio, where who is a heel not because he's Mexican, uh, but because he's just this guy who, who, who thinks he's better than you, and that makes him a prick, and, oh, he's got an accent. I mean, you know, so there's, there's at least that, whereas the other companies, you know, the, the, their, their only ethnic wrestlers are, are, are heels, and they're heels simply because they're ethnic. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense to me. Dr. Commercial, we uh, came back for our top of the second hour and our fourth match of the night. Big Show defeating David Otunga with Mark Henry at 3 minutes and 24 seconds. Um, I had this thing booked from the time the bell rang. It was so obvious what was going to happen. You have Big Show trashing David Otunga. Uh, then he turns his attention to Henry. Otunga clips him from behind uh, to, to knock Big Show to the ground. He covers him. Big Show power kicks out, throws Otunga to the floor. Henry acts like he's going to come up into the ring. He starts climbing the stairs with Big Show's back turn. He's watching Otunga. Uh, and then Daniel Bryan pops out of the crowd, hits Mark Henry in the back with the uh, the world title belt, teases Henry, kind of holds it up in front of him, almost like it's uh, you know a little Debbie cake or something. Uh, Ooh, don't you want this? Don't you want this? And, and taunts Henry. So Henry, Henry chases him backstage. Show helps Otunga in the ring, hits the WMD to knock him out and in the match. I, I mean, it's... It was fine for what it was. I, I didn't want to see it because it's just lazy. Like I said, as soon as the bell rang, I had the, the match booked from start to finish, knew exactly what was going to happen. I, you know, part of that is the fact that I've watched a lot of wrestling in my life. But part of that is that they just they didn't even try to, to tease us with something else. We, I think anybody who's watched wrestling for more than 30 minutes could have figured out what was going to happen here. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty well telegraphed based on that backstage segment where they booked this uh, this singles match and, and canceled the tag match. Uh, but, you know, it, it was okay for what it was. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody cares about David Otunga. Uh, you know, a big show gets a decent pop, but, I mean, the guy, he isn't one of those guys that can have a good match with anybody. I mean, he just does what he does, and you either like it or you don't. So, uh, you know, the, the way it kind of unfolded with the uh, – you know, with the interference from Henry and, and Brian was, was pretty well atypical. And, 
and then you know Sho just went on to to knock out Otunga and get the pin. So it was uh, pretty well exactly what we've been seeing from these guys the past couple of weeks, just uh, kind of keeping this storyline up in the air, uh, you know, to to make sure that we had a reason to to tune in next week to watch the uh, uh, you know to watch uh, the match that we're going to get with uh, Big Show and, and Daniel Bryan. So interesting. Uh, you know, it's an interesting angle based on the backstage segments, but what we've seen in the ring has been pretty formulaic. After commercial, we had our uh, fifth match of the night. Well, it's worth pointing out, Ezekiel Jackson made his entrance, and he's growing his hair back out. So, I, And you liked the look, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I thought it looked good on him. I mean, he uh, he's one of the guys that does have a decent look. It's just uh, everything else that needs work. There's been a... There, uh, John, Mor- John Morrison at one time was tweeting pictures of the back of uh, Zeke's head. They were at a uh, uh, like at an amusement park somewhere, and he was riding rides with Zeke and was behind him the whole time and taking pictures of the reels in his head. We're posting them on Twitter. So it was interesting to see him with his hair grown out. And then I thought this was very telling, that Drew McIntyre made his entrance, and they gave us the 35-minute entrance that he had back when he was the chosen one on SmackDown. They let the, the music play for a while, and, he, and I thought he got a pretty decent pop, all things, considering the fact that he was just dead overall and we haven't seen him in weeks. Yeah, no, he got a pretty decent reaction. I mean, he does have uh, some pretty good entrance music. I do enjoy his entrance music. I, you know, it's, uh, it kind of starts off slow, but, you know, when he has full pyro and, and, uh, and, you know, and the volume kicked up, it actually does uh, look like a pretty cool entrance from my perspective. That led to our fifth match of the night, Ezekiel Jackson defeating Drew McIntyre at three minutes and 52 seconds. Of course, Drew was told he needed to win if he wanted to hang around. Not that he would be fired if he lost, but that there would certainly be considerations for that. Um, he tried cheating a couple times. He had deep down in the corner stomping him at one point. The ref threatened to disqualify him. He begged off, and Zeke was able to attack him from behind again. And then he was able to fight back out of that. He covered Zeke. Uh, but put his feet up on the second rope. The ref counted two, saw the feet on the rope, was yelling at him, yelling at McIntyre for doing that. Drew's trying to beg him off. Not gonna, Don't, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, don't disqualify me, it won't happen again. And then Z grabs him from behind, rolls him up in a schoolboy, and grabs the tights to get the pinfall victory. And then, you know, after the match, you get McIntyre kind of selling, being upset and, and concerned about having loss or whatever. I, I didn't like this. I, I didn't like, I mean, the match was what it was. It's Zeke. You're never going to get a great match out of Zeke. Uh, so, I mean, as far as the action, it was fine. But I don't like, I just don't like anything about it. I, I don't like the story with McIntyre having to prove that he can win. He, he's still kind of a quasi heel, and that doesn't work well for, for him, uh, unless they're going to just push him back over the top again and have him go insane. And, and I'd like to see. You know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a babyface run out of him just to give us something different than what we had. Uh, but you know, on top of the bad story, I, I don't. You know, Zeke pulling the tights to win. I don't know. I just. I mean, I understand what they were trying to do, but I just don't think it worked. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a clumsy match, and uh, you know that that probably ended up taking away from the way it finished off. I mean, we we had uh, you know McIntyre doing his cheat to win kind of tactics and getting you know his balls busted by the ref a couple of times. Uh, for doing various things, and and then uh, you know the ref turns a blind eye, or or they pretend he didn't see uh, the tights getting pulled uh, for, by Zeke, and and so you know McIntyre's case to Teddy Long uh, or, or you know, to whoever would be that uh, you know he uh, the ref busted his balls for cheating, but he ended up losing by cheating. So 
uh, you know, th- that was the story they told, but it was just a clunky, clumsy match with a lot of, uh, you know, kind of awkward looking spots. And, uh, you know, the, the way they got there just kind of, kind of turned me off the whole thing. And it, it wasn't a very impressive performance for me. The guy McIntyre didn't look all that great either. So hopefully they're both able to pick up their games. Yeah, not, hopefully got better stuff for them. It just was not, like, I know what they were trying to do. It just, it just didn't happen. It just wasn't executed well or something, but. Uh, Seamus was shown walking around backstage. We went to commercial and when we came back. He made his ring entrance. He got a great pop from the indie crowd. They were uh, uh, they were ready to see him. He uh, what was his opening line? What's cracking indie? Is that what he said? He said, "What's the crack Indianapolis?" And it just <laughs> I, with the, with the way his accent uh, kind of that came out really funny to me. I, I don't know. everybody popped for it, but I I, I think he meant to say what's cracking and it came out what's the crack so yeah very funny stuff hilarious <laughs> that's great he um he he came to the ring he got the title hyped up with his what's the crack and he's uh lying he said everybody was talking about the past and you know talking about the year in review but he wanted to look to the future and he wanted to start with the royal rumble uh he said that he was going to go on with, with 29 other guys 29 other fellows and uh, that he was going to become the Royal Rumble winner and go on to win uh, a championship at WrestleMania. He got a big pop from the crowd, and then Hornswoggle's music hit. And tragically, that little guy got the same reaction that Seamus got. Uh, Horny came to the ring. Uh, he got in the ring and, and stood beside Seamus. Seamus says, look here, it's the guy who beat me in the Christmas Battle Royal, and that got a big pop. He, uh, he asked Seamus, or Seamus got squatted down at that point. He's like, he goes, let me guess, you're going to enter the Rumble too? And, and Hornswoggle said yes. He said, well, who do you think's going, or Hornswoggle just nodded. Uh, and he goes, who do you think is going to win? And, you know, Horny at first acts like he, he couldn't talk, and Seamus even pointed out, wait, I, you know, can't you talk? Who's going to win? Horny grabs the mic, snatches it out of, of Seamus' hand, and says, Hornswoggle, 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 while parading around the ring and getting the crowd all hyped up. He hands the mic back to, uh, to Seamus. Seamus launches into one of his uh, Irish folk stories, something about his grandfather back in 1847. Uh, something, something, something. I, yeah, that, that's kind of when I zone out. That, that, that Lucky Charms part of his act just is, is on my last nerve. I really like him as, as a babyface, but that part just needs to go. It, it's silly on top of silly. But his, his point was, he said, "Fool me, you know, you, you beat me in the Christmas Battle Royal, and we're going to both be in the Royal Rumble. Fool me once, shame on me, or shame on you. Fool me twice, you'll get a foot in your ass." <laughs> Which was kind of a weird segue there. Um, they, you know, he, he looked all serious. Horny looked all nervous, and then of course Seamus broke into a smile, and they shook hands. And suddenly Heath Slater's music hit. Slater comes out with a mic, and he cuts a promo, uh, a terrible promo, might I add. He's not a good guy on the mic at all. His, I, I get picked on about my southern accent. He is, I mean, to, to be on that stage, it really is kind of a detriment to some degree. He really. Just some of his words, the way he splurs them out, I think I, I can just see people in the crowd going, really, this guy is, is giving mic time? Um, but uh, he, he called himself the one-man rock band, said he had no problem beating up a little guy like Hornswoggle. He climbed in the ring, got Horny's face. Uh, Seamus kind of stepped in between them and said, you know, hey, I like Southern uh, southern Rock. I, you know, I understand it's pretty good. You seem like a Journey guy. They started singing, Don't Stop Believing My Journey Together. And then Seamus said, well, actually, I figure you more as an R. Kelly guy. You know, I believe I can fly. And then he threw Slater over the top rope, and he and Hornswoggle celebrated in the ring. I, you know, again, like we talked about at the top of the show, I like Seamus, happy to see Seamus, wanted to do more with him. 
this come out, tell a stupid story, cut a goofy promo, whether it's in you know in the ring or backstage with somebody, and then beat up a jobber like Slater is so over. I I just I really didn't like the segment because it, I'm just I'm done with it. I I, I don't want to see that anymore. Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't, you know, Slater didn't do himself any favors either. I mean, the way he cut that promo, it almost felt like the words were kind of falling out of his mouth. I mean, his delivery is just awful. But, uh, you know, Seamus uh, is what he is. I mean, he's been doing this for weeks now, and it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And you're right. I mean, it, it's fine. I mean, you know, the crowd likes it because they get to see the good guy beat up the bad guy. But, I mean, it's really not doing anything for his character long term. And, He's not really involved in anything uh, major right now, and, and I'm hoping that will change now that uh, Randy Orton uh, is going to be, you know, sidelined for a bit. But, uh, yeah, this segment was about, I don't know, what would you say, about 10 minutes? I, I, I didn't time it, to be honest. But it felt like it was about 10 minutes and almost nothing got accomplished except establishing what we already know, which is that, you know, Sheamus is a contender for the Royal Rumble. Orton Swaggle, uh, you know, is kind of an annoying little midget, and uh, Heath Slater is an idiot, so... Those things we already knew, and that's what we found out in this segment. So, yeah, it was about your your line with timing. About ten minutes is pretty close. I didn't time it either, but just looking at where the quarter breaks are, that seems to be about right. And, and then, you know, it, here's the bad part. On top of it is that we we have this thing, and it's dreadful, and nobody cares. But at least it's over. We go to commercial, we come back, and hell no, it's not over. They're already got a match in progress. Six matches of the night. Sheamus defeating Heath Slater. In about four minutes and 42 seconds of TV time, no idea how long they wrestled before uh, the, they came back from commercial, how much time there was there, but it's just a little under five minutes of, of actual TV time. You know, standard WWE uh, in long enhancement matches, I call it, where you don't have a squash. You have Seamus hitting all of his big moves on the very front, and then Slager comes back, works over him for about a minute and a half. Seamus comes back, hits the bro kick for the win. I just... Do not think that I, uh, I could have cared less. In fact, the only thing I really worth pointing out about this match is the top rope shoulder tackle from Sheamus. Slater seemed out of out of position as as Sheamus jumped off. Sheamus seemed to jump low on top of everything else, and Slater had to kind of move to his right and squat a little bit to have that. So I mean, it was just a very awkward looking moment, and that was the setup to the bro kick at the end. So tragic spot for that to be in. But I mean, a match that I could not have cared less about. Yeah, I mean, it just was a continuation of the, you know, of the previous segment that we didn't really care about. It was, was it a bad match? No, but uh, you know, yeah. we've seen uh, we've seen Sheamus do this for about a month now, and it just doesn't seem to get him anywhere. So, I mean, it, yeah, he got the win, and then you know, Slater took another convincing loss. But I don't think we really, you know, learned anything new about either of these guys in this match. After commercial, we're backstage with, or excuse me, no, it was not after commercial. He went straight backstage from there. Daniel Bryan was talking to Katie Long and again putting over that he was Big Show's lucky charm. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, you, you wanted to see me? Why did you want to see me? Show person at that point and said, yeah, why did you want to see me? Then he and Bryan got into it, and I, I thought this was very effective, the way they kind of bickered back and forth. Um, you know, Show was like, I don't need you out there. You're not my lucky charm. Just go away. Uh, Brian goes, wow, all I really want is just one thank you, just one one thank you for saving you. And she was like, oh, thank you. And, I mean, their, their bickering, I thought, was really, really well done. I was kind of – it was one of those things where for a moment I was like, wow, that that sounds like they're really, you know, that Joe's really pissed off. And, and Brian's like, hey, I don't – you know, why, why are you so upset? I mean, as far as single moment of the night, this was it for me. I just thought it was very, very well done. 
And he finally got everybody calmed down and said that because Raw was having their big world title match or WWE Championship match with CM Punk and Dolph Ziggler, he wanted to compete with that. And so he was booking Daniel Bryan to defend his World Heavyweight Championship against the Big Show next week on SmackDown. Show immediately burst into laughter. Um, I mean, just chuckling at the idea. Looked at Bryan and goes, well, you had a good little run there, buddy. And Brian looked at him, and, and probably a lot of the night goes, he looks down at his title, looks back up at show, and goes, well, at least my title run will be longer than your 45-second one, and walked out, leaving show awful pissed off as they went into commercial. I, I, probably the best segment of the night. I like it even better than the one they did before, because the bickering just came across as, as authentic. Uh, the, uh, the at least my title reign lasted longer than yours line was a great shot. And Teddy managed not to screw this up. Yeah, this was definitely the best talking segment of the night. I thought Brian got in a few good lines there, and he played his role, you know, well. And and Joe being the uh, you know the frustrated monster, uh, you know, that's a good spot for him to be in. That's what he's done best for his entire career. So, you know, I, I like uh, the idea of this match next week. I, I hope they execute it well. We'll see what happens. At the commercial, we had uh, a rundown of January second Raw. They they hyped that with the. Uh, They've been showing commercials for it all night, and the uh, the January 2nd video had been cut in uh, on all the commercials. These guys, the announcement talked about the actual matches that were scheduled for Raw. Then they hyped the uh, Booker T and, uh, and Cody Rhodes match for next week, as well as the Daniel Bryan and Big Show World title match for next week. And then we had our, uh, let's see, seventh and final match of the night, Wayfair, called Randy Orton to an apparent no contest in a fall Italian wear match in about 15 minutes. Uh, this, you know, they, they, they went to the floor really, really early and, and got a couple of pinfall attempts on the floor to kind of help establish that it was balls count anywhere and what that means. And uh, But they stayed primarily in the ring for the first well, roughly two-thirds of the match. They ended up going to the floor. There, they had a bump over the uh, announce table. Then they uh, – I missed the ref bump. How did the ref get knocked out? Uh, Barrett uh, – no, excuse me, Orton – uh, went to toss Barrett back over the uh, the barricade uh, towards the ring, and he collided with the ref. Uh, okay. And then they they both ended up heading back towards the uh, the, the production area or whatever that was back there. Okay, yeah, I missed the ref up, so I wasn't sure where it happened. They ended up going over the barricade, like you just said. The, you had the collision that knocked the ref out, so they stayed back behind the barricade. They end up fighting to the back. They do all the the spots in the back, slamming each other on the tables and the packing crates and all that stuff that are sitting around. And then it just got stupid for about two minutes. They fall down a hallway. That ele- there was an elevator at the end of the hallway. The elevator door opens right on time. There are people in there. Barrett goes flying into the elevator. Orton goes running in. The idiots that were in the elevator, some of them stumbled getting out of the way. Others just looked like, I mean, they were obviously plants. I mean, obviously they were, but I'm saying it's just, it came across as obvious. It became suddenly very difficult to suspend disbelief. And then if that wasn't bad enough, the doors closed, and suddenly we get cut into the feed from the security camera. And what made that ridiculous is that the commentators were commenting on it. How in the hell are they going to get that to the monitors in, like, 0.2 seconds? It's, it's the most ridiculous thing the most ridiculous part of this whole thing, they fought in the elevator. There's no sound. It's just them in black and white. Orton beating up on Barrett. The, uh, they have a camera that goes upstairs and finds them when they come out of the, uh, the elevator. They, they fight down a hallway and go out a door into a stairwell. 
And here again, WWE screws this up. The cameraman gets to the stairwell door. There's a, you know, one of those little thin, tall windows in the door that you can see through. You can see Barrett and, and Orton fighting there on the top of the stairs. And something obviously happens on the stairs. And at that moment, the cameraman decides, oh, maybe I should be in there. So he runs in. Barrett's standing at the top of the stairs. Orton's laying at the bottom of the stairs, a crumpled mess. Barrett takes a step down like he's going to go after Orton, changes his mind, and runs out of a different door at the top of the stairs. Orton kind of comes to, moves a little bit, and then sells the injury as they fade the black thing in the show uh, with, the, with the announce team laying out. I, I really like this right up to the elevator moment, and everything from that point forward was just horrid. What about you? Would you did you like it at all? You know, I, I I had the same kind of reaction you did, that it was kind of cheesy. I mean, it, it, it did take away from the reality of it. I mean, it was kind of a, you know, it kind of made me chuckle. I mean, I don't know if that was the intent, and, and you know, it was kind of a serious moment with, with Orton's injury, but the elevator moment kind of made me chuckle, and I'm not sure if, if that's a good thing when you're trying to sell me on these guys trying to kill each other. But, uh, you know, it, it worked, I mean, if you were trying to get people to laugh. But I, I, I hope that wasn't the intent. But, uh, yeah, the, the stairwell bit, obviously, you know, the, the cameraman acting like an idiot and watching it through that little uh, window instead of opening the door was uh, was silly. But, obviously, you know, they didn't want to show Ford going down a flight of stairs. So, I mean, it was, it was just obviously that's the camera trick they decided to go with. But, uh, you know, it, it, obviously it, it, it's okay just because we know Orton's hurt and he's got to get out. But the last two and a half to three minutes of that match were, were a, a pretty cheesy, uh, you know, gimmick camera mess. And, uh, you know, I, I liked the matchup until that point, but it kind of the wheels kind of fell off there. Yeah, I mean, I laughed too at the, at the camera thing, but that's what I'm saying is that as soon as I laugh, it kills everything. It just it shuts the whole thing down. You go, oh, wait, this is two guys putting on an act. It, it doesn't, you know, it, it, it becomes just about impossible to suspend disbelief at that point. Uh, like I said, if that was the reason why they did it, somebody, you know, if a creative person is hearing this and they go, well, we want people to laugh there. Okay, congratulations, but it was a stupid move. <laughs> you don't, especially when you're doing an injury angle where a guy's supposed to be out and you have Barrett run out like he's killed him, uh, you know, the, with the in-between part there being these two fighting in a in an elevator with uh, with watching it through the security cam, it just, it just doesn't work. Uh, as a long-term thing. But Orton, you know, again, they had to do something. I understand what you're saying about, you know, they have to do a camera trick there to make that happen. But, you know, find a better way to do it. It, it just didn't work. It's a tape show. You, you, you had to know that that didn't work well. They, they probably, you know, filmed that earlier in the uh, in the night or earlier in the day uh, instead of, you know, right. It did happen in real time, in other words. So, you know, God, I, I just, I don't know. And even if they did, you, you've got to find a better way to do that. It just didn't work. It looked stupid with him standing there and then running in. Um, and, and it left, you know, it kind of left a sour taste on the, the end of the show. The match had been good and kind of got me back into it, and then they do that to, to close out. I was I was very disappointed in, in the final SmackDown of the year. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a great show. Like we said we at the beginning, it was a very forward-looking show. Most of the, you know, announce work all night was talking about, you know, guys building momentum into the new year. And, and uh, you know, I guess I understand that to a degree, but it definitely felt like tonight was the afterthought. And, uh, you know, and this show was, was here to, to put, uh, you know, something forward for next week. And, you know, I, I guess, 
you know, it's probably difficult to avoid having some shows like that, but it, uh, you know, it doesn't make any less disappointing for the people who watch who, who are, you know, are basically told that, well, you're watching two hours of a show that you're, you know, two hours of your life you're never going to get back, and the show really doesn't mean anything to us either. So, uh, you know, it, it just kind of projected that kind of uh, vibe to me tonight. Before we get out of here, early predictions on next week's show as far as the Intercontinental and World Title matches? Uh, you know, I think we see Cody Rhodes win, and... Uh, uh, probably cleanly, or you know, maybe Dustin gets involved to further that storyline a little further. Uh, and I and I expect Brian retains, although uh, it'll probably come at the uh, with with some serious uh, shenanigans from outside interference. Yeah, I, I definitely think we're going to get a Mark Henry appearance in the world title match. And I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think I think Cody wins and probably wins clean in an Intercontinental title match. But I expect Dustin to be around very, very close, no matter how it plays out. Because I do think we're going to see those guys at WrestleMania. So that is the entire show. That is the SmackDown that aired December 30th, 2011, last show of the year for WWE. Uh, Jake, before we get out of here, anything you want to say? Uh, no, just have a have a good New Year's celebration, everybody. And we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Yep, everybody have a happy and safe new year. Please don't do anything dumb. If you're going to drink, please do not drive. Cabs are not that expensive, and they're a whole lot cheaper than, you know, causing harm to, to yourself or someone else along the way. So definitely take care of yourself. Thank you, everyone, for listening again. Real quick plug before we get out of here. If you like what you heard today, if you like what you heard Thursday on .NET Weekly or with the .NET Countdown, Jason's new Q and, or Jason's Q&A show, my new show that I'm doing on Wednesdays, is kind of a variety show. Uh, or any of these audio reviews, you can have access to these each and every week, plus access to all the old audios, the .NET members forum, the .NET members blog page, and, of course, the ad-free version of the site. Head over to ProWrestling.net, and on the right-hand side, you'll find the link for the .NET member sign-up page. Click there. $7.50 a month if you take the monthly option, $5.50 a month if you take the yearly option. Great time to sign up. 2012, at least the first part of it through WrestleMania, seems to be an interesting year shaping up for WWE. They've got some injuries to deal with and uh, just, you know, a lot of things going on, lots of rumors swirling for WrestleMania with Shaq possibly being there and whatnot. So a lot of exciting things that we're going to have coverage for you guys over the next few months. Definitely encourage you to go check all it out. If you haven't listened to any of the other audio, do go back and listen to it. I guarantee you'll find something you like there. Everyone have a safe and happy new year. We'll see you back next week. Only on the member side, though. Everybody have a great weekend and take care.